0: This is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. You've joined us for the episode for Sunday, August twenty 2021. We're so glad you're with us today. And by the way, before we get started, did you realize that with the recording of this podcast episode today, there are 152 episodes at This Week in the Word at Com that anyone, anywhere in the world can listen to anytime free, and that includes you. I invite you to follow the podcast, subscribe to it, so that every time we post a new episode that's weekly, you'll get a notification about that. So anyway, we're glad you're with us today, and let's get right to it we started a series a few weeks ago called Matthew's Messiah. Matthew was a Jewish man who was a tax collector for the Roman Empire. His Jewish name was Levi. Once Matthew was called by Christ to become a disciple and he believed in him and eventually became an apostle, he wrote the Gospel of Matthew that we're going through right now verse by verse. His deepest heart's desire is that his own people, the Jewish people, would realize that Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, is the long-promised Messiah of the Jewish people and indeed the Savior of the world. That's why we call the episode Matthew's Messiah, the series. The episode today is called God Among Men. So if you would like to go to Matthew chapter 8, That's where we're going to be today. The Sermon on the Mount that we looked at over the last three episodes provides instruction from the King, King Jesus. It's what he declares and only God could declare the things the Lord Jesus Christ declared in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Matthew eight follows Matthew seven. You are welcome for such great insights. But the point is, is that Matthew 8, following Matthew 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount the instruction from the king, but now we see the authentication of the king. We see what he does that only God could do. Do you, you see what's happening here as Matthew lays out the Gospel of Matthew? To put it a different way, in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, we had the message of Matthew's Messiah, but starting in Matthew 8, we have the ministry of Matthew's Messiah. Well, let's go straight to Matthew chapter 8. Instead of just talking about it, let's let's get right into it. Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to try to look at the whole chapter today. Let's start. In verse 1, always a great place to start. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. So we see the first person the Lord encounters here is a leper. Now you need to know a little bit about this. We won't go into great detail, but just the basic idea. Leprosy was a disease where the fingers and eventually the hands and the toes and the feet, even the nose and and possibly the rest of the body as well over time, began to decay and fall off. This is a horrible disease. And when someone was diagnosed by a priest as having leprosy, and by the way, The Old Testament priests served many times as the doctors to the Jewish people, and when someone was diagnosed with leprosy, that was the end of their life as they had ever known it. They had to be socially distant. I mean, the minimum was, guess what, six feet. Does that sound familiar? But even more than that, they were to live apart by themselves, and many of them form leper colonies where they could at least have the companionship of those suffering with that disease. They were required, if they were around people at all, to yell out, unclean, unclean, to warn people lest they also get that contagious disease. Now, this leper comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. He cuts through this crowd. Well, I guess so, crying out, unclean, unclean. They made a way for this guy. And notice that he comes and he worships Jesus. Now, you know, only God is worthy of worship. Amen. And we see here Jesus being authenticated as God. So we see that He comes and He worships Him and He says a very wise thing. Lord, if Thou wilt, in other words, if You want to, You can make me clean. And I think that's a good way for us to pray anytime we are sick or have any problem is for us to come and put it before the Lord and His will be done. And you know what? Jesus, it says in verse 3, "...and Jesus put forth His hand and touched Him." Now, there's one thing no one ever did with a leper, and that's touched them. Jesus reached out and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. This was a dramatic miracle of healing. And then in verse four, Jesus tells him to follow the law, go to the priest, offer the sacrifice, that it would be a testimony, a witness to them You know what? When you see a leper cleansed instantly of his leprosy and restored again to his home and his family and his livelihood, only God could do that. Amen? And by the way, this was the first time in recorded history that someone had healed instantly a leper. This, my friends, is God among men. All right, let's go further. Not only does Jesus encounter the leper, he encounters a Gentile to the Jewish way of thinking. Even worse, (laughs) this is, we're gonna see here that the Jewish people had racism in bold caps. Absolutely, they hated the Gentiles. Now, by the way, not only was this person Jesus meets not a Jew, he was a, a Gentile, but he is coming as an army officer, a centurion of the Roman army. said, well, so what, Pastor Ed? Well, it was a Roman army that happened to be occupying Israel. I mean, this is, this is as bad as it gets, all right? Not only is he Gentile, he's an, a Roman centurion. This is just bad, bad, bad. Well, it doesn't bother the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse five. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, This was now his headquarters, by the way, uh, on the Sea of Galilee. And when Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion. Now, you know, centurions were used to having people come to them because they'd ordered them to. This centurion humbles himself, and he goes to the Lord. Now, look at the end of verse 5, beseeching him, begging him. This is something the Roman centurion was not in a habit of doing, but with Jesus that's how he approached him. You know why? He knew who was in charge here, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go back to verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, by the way, Every time he says, Lord, he's calling him God. This is God among men. The centurion answered, said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self same hour. Wow! Now this is somebody who had no claim on the Lord Jesus Christ and every Jewish people watching him hated him, and yet he came and he acknowledged that Jesus Christ was in fact God among men. He called him Lord, and he knew that he could heal his servant remotely, not even coming to his home, that he was unworthy for Jesus to come there. And by the way, among the Jewish people, they would have felt that if they had entered the centurion's home as a Jew coming in that Gentile's home, especially a Roman centurion, that they would have been ceremonially defiled before God. So they would never do this. And that's how the centurion was thinking about this. By the way, centurions are mentioned several times in the New Testament, and every single time they are mentioned in a good light. These were highly professional soldiers and well-respected, but this one, even though he answered to someone above him and at least a hundred answered to him, he was wise enough to realize that this was God among men and Jesus could heal his servant at a distance with just a word. This was something marvelous to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, basically, I'm paraphrasing, nobody in Israel has had this kind of faith. This Gentile, this non-Jew, he's the one comes to me exercising this great faith. So Jesus healed his servant. This is a massive miracle, friends. Notice in the first miracle, he touched the leper and the leper is healed. Here, he doesn't even go to the house. He simply grants the request and the servant is healed. Now, friends, that is God among us. Only, <laughs> it's like they say, even Ray Charles could see that this was God among us, right? You see what I'm saying? All right, now, so he heals a leper. He heals the hated Gentile. Now he heals a woman. The only thing lower than a leper and a Gentile among the Jews was a woman, and when Jesus was come into Peter's house, now, by the way, this is the same disciple and apostle Peter, you know, the same one that denied the Lord later, this same Peter. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. Now, there's a couple things I'm going to say about this. Notice the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have just said, if it was just a fever, you'll get over it. But in this case, he didn't. He healed her. And there was no ceremony. Nothing was said. He just touched her hand and the fever had to flee. Think about that. When Jesus touches the leper, the leprosy must go. When Jesus wills that the servant of the centurion be healed, he will be healed. And when he touches the mother-in-law of Peter, touches her hand, the fever must go. Amen. Are you starting to see that Matthew's Messiah is God among men? Wow, that is amazing. And the average Jewish man would have nothing to do with a woman like this. He would have considered her to be beneath him. And yet Jesus heals her. He heals the servant of the centurion. He heals the leper. And he doesn't stop there. Next, we're going to see in verses 16 and 17, Jesus Christ heals masses of people, multitudes of people. Look at verse 16. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. Now, these are demons. What are demons, Pastor Ed? Do you believe in them? Well, I don't actually believe in them. I know they exist. I only believe in God. Amen. How about you? But devils are merely fallen angels, created beings that were originally created like all the angels, to serve God and bring glory to God. Well, as you know, when Lucifer, the highest angel, who uh, led the praise of God in heaven, when he decided, I can do this God thing, I will be his God. When he decided that, then a third of the angels rebelled with him. You remember that? Well, they became what we know of as demons. Listen to me. They are real And you're going to see that they're real right here in this chapter. The Lord Jesus Christ dealt with them as actual spiritual entities. Just because you can't see one doesn't mean they don't exist. I can't see electricity, but I'm not going to sit in the dark tonight when I go home. I'm flipping the light switch, but you can't see it. That's all right. It's there. Trust me. I'm going to flip the light switch and it's coming on. Devils, these demons are real created beings. Do you know what they do 24-7-365? They work against you and God's work in your life. If you're not yet a Christian, they don't want you to become one. If you are a Christian, they want to try to make you the worst one that ever existed If you're a great Christian, they want to oppose you and hamper you and hinder you. And if they could, they would kill you at every turn. That's who they are. Say, why are they like that? I don't know. Why is a rattlesnake like it is? It bites and kills because that's what it does. Just accept it. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. So notice there's two categories of people here, and I'm sure many of those who were demonized were were also sick, but there were people who were sick that didn't have any demonic oppression. So you see what we're saying here is both kinds and separately and people that had both issues. It didn't matter. The Lord healed them. You know what he told the spirits? By the way, do you think that he did some intricate exhortation like you see in movies? Nope. He just said, go. Guess what? They had to go. And when he healed the sick, they were instantly healed. Now let's read all of that again. When the even was come, They brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, we usually say Isaiah, by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And I'm going to read that passage where this comes from. I'm going to read from Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. By the way, if you are a Jewish listener right now, you had probably never read the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, for you have been taught by rabbis and maybe even your parents that that is considered the forbidden chapter in the Old Testament. Well, it's not. God wrote it down because he wants you to read it. But I'm going to read it to you right now. It's about the suffering servant. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you read it, perhaps for the first time, you will realize this is talking about the ministry of and the crucifixion of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're going to read two verses. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Amen. So Matthew says, as a Jewish person, as Levi, he says, when Jesus cast out these demons and healed all that were sick, that it fulfilled this prophecy by Isaiah the prophet. Now, not only does Jesus heal the leper, heal the servant of a Gentile Roman centurion, Heal Peter's mother-in-law, a woman, and heal multitudes, masses of people, all at one time. But now we're going to see that he actually has authority over nature because he encounters a storm. Now, I do want to say this. I don't know this for sure, but could it be possible that Satan and his demons tried to stir up the greatest storm imaginable on the Sea of Galilee in order to sink this boat and drown not only the disciples, but if he could, the Lord Jesus Christ himself in this massive storm. I think that could be. I'm not saying it was or wasn't, but that, if he could try it, I bet he would. All right, so let's look at verses 18 to 27 as we finish. Matthew chapter 8 today, we see a great storm. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Now what that meant was not that his father had just died and he needed to attend the funeral. What he meant was he needed to go home and wait around for however many months or years it took for his dad to die, so he could inherit his father's estate. That's what that meant. Notice that that's what he said Lord, uh, you know, I will follow you, but first I need to go and bury my father. I'm just paraphrasing that. Verse 22 But Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. And he's talking about the spiritually dead to bury folks that die. He says, if you want to follow me, let's go. So he was calling him right that moment. Now, what did he do? I don't know. I'm getting a feeling that both the scribe and this guy uh, didn't follow him. That's kind of the feeling I'm getting because the Lord was challenging them. And I, I doubt that they rose to the challenge. If you're being called by the Lord, the wisest possible thing you can do is following. Him. Amen. Now, let's get to the storm. Verse 23, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. (laughs) Wow. The the Lord Jesus Christ used every available minute of his earthly life, life in his earthly ministry for the kingdom of god and when he could catch 40 winks as we say a nap he he slept and he prayed a lot rising early in the mornings if you remember that and we see him at other times praying late at night so having a human body like we do it had its physical limitations and he was asleep the amazing thing to me is that he is sleeping through this violent storm. Now, I've never been to Israel. I've never seen the Sea of Galilee, but I've heard people tell about it. I've read accounts about it and looked at a little bit at the geography of it. It is a, a huge sea. Like, think of our Great Lakes, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe not that big, but it was big. It wasn't a little pond like I fished on with my dad when he was a soldier at Fort Benning. It wasn't a little pond. It wasn't a little lake. This was a big sea with big waves, all right, in the north of Israel. Look it up. You'll see that it's very large. I mean, I don't remember, but it's got to be miles wide in places, all right? It is big. Big waves can come up, but here's the thing about it. It is a sea and it's like at the bottom of a bowl of mountains and the winds whip down these mountains to the sea and it just creates like a huge tempest with the the winds crossing this large sea. Well, that's what happened. It still happens today, by the way. But at this point, the Lord is crossing the Sea of Galilee with the disciples. He's asleep in the boat so uh let's, let's pick up here because i'm i want to get back to the passage here so the boat is what sailors would say is, it's being swamped with the, with the waves. now you know i'm not a person of the sea <laughs> i'm going to depend a lot on what the sailors tell me about the sea because me and the sea i don't know nothing about that all right but if i look around and the sailors are scared then I know that I need to be scared. These guys who had fished on the Sea of Galilee, been on it so many times in their lives, been in other storms, no doubt. They grew up around it. They worked on it. This storm was blowing their minds. They were frightened. And you know, if the sailors are scared, I'm scared. Verse 25, And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And that may be one of the shortest prayers in the Bible. Lord, save us, we perish. Five words. Uh, but they made their point to the Lord, all right? So they're frightened, they're terrified. We would all be too if we were in their place in this kind of storm in the middle of that sea. Verse 26, and he saith unto them, now notice here, as one commentator pointed out, he doesn't get up immediately and deal with a storm. I mean, that's no big deal to him. But he's, he deals with their lack of faith, their fear. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The picture here in the Greek is that he deals with the disciples and how little faith they have in him and in the Father. Then he rebukes the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. It just stops cold. And instantly the sea was calm. Now they had never seen anything like this. This is like beyond human comprehension. Verse 27, but the men marveled, saying, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? This was completely unfathomable to these sailors. I'm going to tell you what kind of man this is and who he is. By quoting Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9. And here we go. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord, your faithfulness surrounds you, you rule the raging of the sea when waves rise. You still them. Whoa! Jesus Christ literally fulfills Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9, as the Messiah, Matthew's Messiah, truly God among men. Next, we finish with the demons. And, and one other passage after that, but the demons, verses 28 to 32. Now, this is a longer passage where we see in more detail a little bit about the demons and how Jesus dealt with them. If, if you say you're a Christian, but you doubt that demons are real or you, you insist they're not, you are wrong and you do not know the lord jesus christ that's a bold statement but why do i say that because of verses 28 to 32 it's right here in the bible baby let's read in in matthew 20 matthew 8 verses 28 did i just say romans 8 <laughs> matthew chapter 8 verse 28 and when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs. That's where they lived, by the way. We know that from the other gospels. Coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by that way. Whoa, we know from the other passages in the Gospels, these two men had, they had tried to restrain them with chains, but their strength was so strong when under demonic oppression that they could literally break physical chains. Process that. Verse 29, And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Even they knew who Jesus was. Aren't thou come hither to torment us before the time? So they also know that they're going to be judged and sentenced to hell by the Lord Jesus Christ. So deal with all of that too while you're about it. Verse 30. And there was a good way off from them and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. Now, by the way, why did they ask this? Well, demons crave bodies to work through, even if it's animals. All right? Think about that. So they say, hey, if... And by the way, they beg him because you know who's in charge? Jesus is in charge. They beg him saying, if thou cast us out, suffer us, allow us to go away into the herd of swine. Now, the swine were feeding not far off. Why did they want to go there? Because like Lucifer, like Satan, they love to steal, kill, and destroy So if they can't do it anymore to these two poor men, then they're going to destroy and kill something, right? Verse 32. Now, by the way, when you see all of these long, lengthy things of dealing with demons and exhortations and all this stuff, compare that to what we're going to see right here. Verse 32. He's talking about Jesus now, and he said unto them, "Go." And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea, and perished in the waters. Now we know that uh, from the gospels that these there were about two thousand swine there. So uh, this is this. This is amazing. What an event. And I love how the Lord just says go, and they had to go. No arguing, no waiting around. They weren't difficult to deal with. They had to obey Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's God among men and even among demons. They know who he is. Then let's look at greed versus God because something happened after these swine ran into the sea. Let's see what happened. Now you would think that with these two men being freed instantly from demonic possession, restored to their senses, they're believing in Christ, they can return to their families and neighbors, you would think that a great revival would have broken out in that city. Well, you would think that. Verse 33 and 34. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city. Well, why not? They just lost their jobs, right? (laughs) And told everything. And what was befallen to the possessed of the devils? and That was even more upsetting. Hey, they're normal now. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. So far so good, right? And when they saw him, they besought him. That means they begged him that he would depart out of their coast. Go, leave us. You've done too much damage already. You know what they were looking at? Not the people delivered. They were looking at the the money and the animals and livestock and all of that and you know they couldn't take them to market now and all this kind of stuff. It was greed versus God. You know what? When they were put to the test, they chose greed. Wow. This ranks as one of the dumbest responses ever to God among men. It's called rejection. It's called unbelief. You see, Jesus could have, he could have done anything. He could have restored the swine to life free of the demons. He could have, produced money out of thin air if he had wanted to, to pay them for the, the swine they lost. You see what I'm saying? He could have completely reversed any harm that they felt that they had suffered. This is a totally dumb response that they have. You know why? Because in John 4 is another city that had the smartest response to God among men. And it was one of reception, one of belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that city was blessed and many came to faith in Jesus because they responded the right way to God among us. Now, I want to give you a phone number. We're done today. But I'll give you a phone number. 877-247-2426 because I want you to call that number and somebody will help you come to faith in Jesus Christ where you see him as he is, God among men, Matthew's Messiah, the Savior of the world. And you can know for sure how your eternity will turn out. And instead of continuing to follow Satan and being condemned with him to an eternal hell, along with the demons, you can follow Jesus Christ and be welcome into heaven and eternity with God. If you're too shy to call 877-247-2426, then go to chataboutjesus.com, chataboutjesus.com. To close, I would like to read for you a few verses about trusting Christ. In Romans 3.23, we read, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Romans eight. Excuse me, Romans ten eight through 13. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is over all, the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call, Upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, I thank you for listening today to This Week in the Word at dredhill.podbean.com and I hope you will follow me and get every episode that's posted each week and let others know how they can find it too by sharing it right now, right from where you are on that app. Share it with others that they may listen as well. I look forward to seeing you again next week at This Week in the Word. And I pray that God will bless you greatly this week if you're a Christian. And if you're not, that this will be the week that you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Bye-bye.